You are listening to the Uncanceled Podcast. We believe that Jesus came to set you free and nothing can cancel the truth of God's word. Now here's your host, the youth pastor of Impact Youth at Faith Church in New Milford, Connecticut, Pastor Joey Santora. going on on canceled how are you guys doing thank you so much for tuning in probably one of your best it really was i could have held it longer it just it was getting to a point where it's slightly obnoxious so i decided (laughs) to stop doing it um it was if it's like your first time watching this you might have like actually turned it off like as soon as you just like clicking oh my friend sent me this podcast and it's like there's like who was all right i'm done with this guy i hope Uh, not Stick but, um, around. Nah, come stick back. around, man. You got to come back. Gotta tell, t- tell your friend to come back. Tell your friend to come back. Come back to us. It's just uh, a joke. It was just a joke. Just a prank. Um, it is time. Yeah, let's do it. It is time to rate, rate that Oreo. There mm. we are. Let's do it. That was money. Uh, before we begin this week, yes, uh, yes, last yes. week we made a critical error and <laughs> we apologize for it. We did the whole rating and everything, but we didn't answer the crux of the question. Right. Was the flavor of Oreo, uh, of the flavor of the Oreo last week, which was lemon, yep. better than an original Oreo? No, Answer? It was, no, it was not. No, just no. We would both much rather have a regular Oreo than the limon Oreo. Certainly. So that takes care of that. But now we're moving on. This week, what we got? again from the Target in Bethel, this is, <laughs> this is Toffee Crunch Oreo. <coughs> not excited. Toffee. Um, not a big toffee guy. I don't know, man. Sometimes it just has like a smell that I don't like. Mm. And like, I don't know. Like, all right, like, like mapley like type tastes are not always my favorite unless it's like real, like good maple, like syrup. Like, so like. I guess in Vermont, they actually, I'm not going to get into that. I'm not going to get into that. It was just, I was just going to go completely off topic. We're going to stay on topic. Okay. Um, uh, I had to look up what toffee is. Tell me. Because I've had it, but I didn't really know what it was. To be honest, um, I don't either. Yeah. So toffee is a confection made by caramelizing sugar or molasses along with butter and occasionally flour. That's all that we have. Okay. Um, it says... Toffee flavor cream, artificially oh. flavored with sugar oh. crystals. I have a better answer. Tell me. Caramel is made with white sugar. Okay. Toffee is made with butter and brown sugar. So here's what's crazy. I'll, I'll go one more with you. Okay. So sugar is made with, wait, was it sugar? Caramel is made with white sugar. Yeah. Toffee is made with butter and brown sugar. But watch this. Butterscotch is made with just brown sugar. Wow. Very subtle differences. In Very the, in subtle. The ingredients. But you taste it. Yeah. You do taste the difference, certainly. certainly. All right. All right yeah, let's, let's crack it open. Um, I lift every day. Oh, it was a rippy one. Nice. So uh, last week. Oh, we- no. See that? That's the smell. That's the smell that I don't like. That is the like. smell. Last week we had a uh, a golden Oreo cookie, and this week we got a regular Oreo cookie. Oh man, I just no, I just don't like this smell. It really I, just smells to me like like strong maple syrup. To be honest with you, it was a little sickening to me, mm. like the, well. the, the smell. But I'm gonna put the whole thing in my mouth. <laughs> I don't even care. Uh, here we go. Hmm. 
Wow. Um. Wow, a lot has happened. Here's, here's one of the words that immediately came to my mind. Granular. Oh my gosh, yes, grainy. Like yeah. a grainy t- texture in your mouth? Yeah. Well, it says there's sugar crystals in it. Oh. Well, they did that. Um, it's strong. It is. I know why there's sugar crystals. Hmm. Real toffee. Like if you just get toffee, right. it has like a um, crunchiness to it, right? Um, I'll be honest, much better than I expected. I don't think it's bad. It's no. just very strong, man. It's, it's like, it's like somebody just gave me a thing of maple syrup and I just put it down there. Okay. Yeah. I, I also, one thing that I did like about it, I actually, I, I thought when I saw with sugar crystals, I was like, that's terrible. I was like, why would you do that? I liked it. I kind of liked the extra crunch that I was getting in there a little bit. And the flavor was actually not bad. No, it's, it's, it's good flavor. I like that flavor. It's just strong. It's strong. And like, I would definitely be done after Mm. what, like three. Yeah. I was going to say like three or four max. So, so would you eat a, eat a six pack of them? Probably not. Could. Probably not. I, I would get sick of it. Yeah. I'd be like, like, and to me, that marks a good Oreo. Is like when it's a really good one, it's like, yeah, I'm eating that six pack. And like, like, yeah, it's, it's going to be calories or whatever, but it's going to taste great. But I wouldn't waste calories and waste my time eating a six pack of Toffee Crunch right. Oreos. No did way. You, uh, did you get any chocolate from the cookie? So I can definitely tell it was a chocolate cookie. Uh, cookie. <laughs> Cookie in comparison to the one we had last week. Right. Um, but the lemon. All right. Let's let's ask this. Is it better than the lemon one from last week? <laughs> oh man. Um. I guess I kind of can't say that it is because I like the flavor is pretty good. Like yeah. I'm I'm kind of here with the flavor. I didn't like taste that much chocolate. Like I just feel like the the. Toffee flavoring was just so overpowering. The flavor's good, but, like, I would definitely, like, physically not feel well if I ate more than four or five. Yeah, and and I think last week we said we'd eat a six-pack of the lemon ones. We did. And uh, I, I also, like, I, I honestly would go as far to say if I maybe ate another one of these, I yeah. would be like, I would be, something about it just doesn't exactly sit well in your stomach and in your I, mouth. I, I don't still, know why. I still taste it like I just took the bite. I agree with that, yeah. 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 Um, well, are we rating it first or are we, are we asking the question first? Let's start with the rating and then answer the question. Okay. I feel like we always end with the questions. Good one. Yeah. Do you have a rating? Yeah, I do. Okay, go ahead. So I'm not eating a six pack. Automatically right. puts it under a five. Yeah, um, has to, has to, has, has to. to. You're not eating a six pack of it. Then there's no way it could be an average Oreo. Um, yeah, and it's because really and truly, you should be able to eat an average Oreo flavor six of them. Like not not counting calories or anything like that. Just like you're really like like feeling it. Like you can like you should be able to eat six. Especially me and him as grown men, we should be able to eat six. Maybe if you're not really as big of an eater, it'd be like three for you. For us, right. it's six. Um, I'm giving it a four, four. 
Yeah. Just four. That's right where I was. Um, the flavor is very accurate. I think <laughs> I think to really enjoy this, you have to be like a really big toffee fan. Yeah. Um, here's something else. That I don't know if we could maybe like sneak this into our considerations. Yeah, tell me. Would it go well with milk? Yeah, my answer to that would be no for this Not one. Not for this one. Yeah, it'd be a no. That, that's a good question. I mean, certainly. Um, I honestly don't think the lemon one would have went well with no. milk last week either. No, nobody wants have. Nobody wants lemon milk. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a four. Can't be a five or, or better. It's just not. It's just not. It's just not great. Yeah. Uh, is it better than a regular Oreo? I think that that should go without saying. No, yeah. it's certainly not better certainly than a regu- not. regular Oreo. But, hey, um, we had to try it. We had to find out for you. Yeah. Now well, you know. You the people. We believe in the people. Yes. And the people need to see this. You need to know what Oreo is superior Cause, cause to the other. you have options when you go to the store. Yeah. And you know what's kind of funny, Ben? Huh. Him and I have very different flavor palettes. And I yeah. know that it might not seem like that because we sometimes rate similarly, but like... We, we actually do. We have very different... Like his, his girlfriend has very similar taste uh, to, uh, that I have. And then Brianna, my wife, has very similar taste in food that Ben has. Yeah, kind of so, funny. But, it's kind of interesting. Um, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Well, that's it for... Rate that Oreo. Oreo. Come on now. That go. was it. All right. All right. Yeah, right there. You know, no. I, <laughs> the little. Well, guys, I'm excited to uh, teach the word of God to you guys today. Um, last week, we talked about uh, part one of what does following Jesus look like? And we talked about taking up our cross. And what that really ultimately turned into was really me just going off on taking up your uh, taking up your cross for uh, about, you know, 30 minutes or so or whatever. But I just really felt it so strongly in my spirit, the importance of teaching about denying ourselves and following the will of God. And so if you missed last week's uh, teaching on what does, it, what does following Jesus look like and taking up our cross, I really encourage you to watch part one before entering in to part two. Uh, of uh, this uh, podcast today, but we talked about taking up our cross. That was our first point, but I have three more for you guys today, and we'll see. Maybe this will turn into a three-parter. Who knows? But uh, I I, want to really get into um, after we take up our cross, right? Because that's where really following Jesus starts with, right? Jesus said, if anybody wants to follow me, if anyone wants to follow me, They must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Take up our cross. So if we really want to be followers of Jesus, it really begins with taking up our cross, dying to our old self, right? We talked about that, dying to our old self and coming alive in Christ. Dying to us and being alive in Christ. And if you want to know more about that, again, tune into last week's broadcast. But for those of you guys that watch, you know exactly what I'm talking about now, uh, that this is the life of a Christian. It is dying to who we used to be and being alive in Christ. But my second uh, point in what does following Jesus look like is this. Following Jesus is about forsaking all. Forsaking all. (coughs) Obviously, we talked about taking up our cross and following Jesus and how taking up our cross is so essential to following Jesus and forsaking our old life, but forsaking all. Go to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. 
I finally have an NLT again. Praise God. It's just easier to be able to, to read to, to an audience. Uh, the NLT is not the most academic version, version but it's a good version um, to, to be able to read. It's fairly accurate to the original text, but uh, also uh, very easily readable. Um, it's really probably the last stop before you go into translations that, that, uh, that aren't as accurate to the, to the text, if I'm being fair. But anyway, I love the NLT. It's a, it's a fun read. It's, a, it's an easy read, and it makes a lot of sense. But anyway, Mark chapter 10, verse 17. I read this text last week, and I really love this text because I feel like there's so much that can be grasped about following Jesus in this text. But uh, it says this in verse 17. As Jesus was starting on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down and asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. Can I please stop right here for a second? (coughs) Some of you will like this story. Hopefully all of you, but some of you will definitely like this story. I went to uh, Bible college and there's a lot of very religious people at Bible college. Uh, And, um, and I mean religious, we're like, we're like, they're very caught up in religion, but not necessarily in a relationship with God. And they, and they take things very literally sometimes that don't need to be taken that way. But I was uh, talking to uh, this uh, guy, he was, uh, he was a year older than me or two years older than me uh, at the school. And uh, one time I, I said to him, when I was talking to him, I said, you know, man, I said, you're a good guy, man. I appreciate you. Thank you. I don't know why I said it. I think maybe he did something to help me out. And I was like, you know, you're a good guy. You know, I appreciate you. Thank you. And he looks at me and he goes, well, only God is good, right? He was like, God is good. And he was referring to this text where it says, you know, why do you call me good, Jesus? Jesus asked, only God is truly good. And uh, really and truly, what people all miss about this text is actually what Jesus is doing is he's probing this rich young man to think, uh, basically be like, well, you're calling me good, but isn't God only truly good? And the reason he's saying that to the rich, uh, to the rich young man is he wants the rich young man to make the conclusion that, oh, he is God. He's trying to get him to figure out that, uh, Jesus is trying to get the rich young man to figure out that he is God by asking him this question. And the reality is, is that the reason why we are, are good is because now Christ lives on the inside of us when we give our life to him. And so, uh, but obviously we know that when we say that somebody is a good guy, uh, and we're talking to them that we, we typically mean it from a sense of they're, they're a nice person or something like that. But anyway, nonetheless, this is an important thing to actually grasp from this text, Jesus is trying to show this rich young ruler by asking him this question, why do you call me good? Only God is truly good. He's trying to reveal to this rich young man that he himself is God. Um, But then Jesus goes on to say, but to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commands since I was young. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. Uh, There is still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Listen to this. Jesus asked this rich young man to forsake everything. He says, 
Go and sell everything that you have and give your money to the poor. And then you'll have treasure in heaven. Many people have tried to teach this text to believe that, see, Jesus wants you to be poor. That that's the desire of God for your life is for you to be poor. But that's not what Jesus is getting at in this text. And in fact, I'll be able to prove it to you in just a little bit. But what Jesus is actually getting at in this text is that money had this rich man's heart. Money had this rich man's heart. And Jesus was saying that in order to follow me, you need to forsake that thing because that thing has your heart. And that thing has your heart. That thing is what controls you. Remember, Jesus says you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus said where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This man's treasure was his money. And so Jesus was saying, in order for you to actually follow me, in order for you to actually be my follower, you need to forsake all. And so Jesus asked this rich young man to forsake everything. And I'll prove to you that this is really what he's getting at because here's what happens. Verse 22, at this, the man's face fell and he went away sad for he had many possessions. There you go. There's your proof. The man was sad and he went away sad because he had many possessions. This man was, could not follow Jesus. Why? Because he was not willing to forsake everything to follow Jesus. He was not willing to forsake everything to follow Jesus. He was not willing to give God. He was not uh, willing to give God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, the one thing he was asking for, which was his heart. What do you mean? He asked for him to sell his possessions. Yes, he asked for him to sell his possession because that's where his heart was. Jesus was asking this man to give him his heart, to give him everything. But this man was unwilling to do so. And so he went away sad for he had many possessions. He was not willing to get to dedicate his heart fully to the Lord. He was not willing to forsake all. See, the life of a Christian is about forsaking everything to follow Jesus. Everything that God is asking of us to follow Jesus. What is that? Uh, What uh, what scripture do, do we have to even support that further? Well, Jesus says what? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. In other words, Jesus tells us in the Gospels, he says, love me with everything that you have, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your heart, and with all your strength to love the Lord. And so Jesus gives us that commandment to be able to do that, to love others, and then to do that as well. And so one of the commandments of following Jesus is to forsake all and give everything that you have to following him. Every, with everything that we have, we need to follow Jesus. Be willing to forsake anything that might be holding you back. Just like this rich young man, many of us in our lives, we have that thing that, that is holding us back from really following Jesus. And what Jesus is asking us to do is to forsake that thing to follow him. If someone really wants to follow Jesus, they need to forsake all. Uh, I heard a great story about this. Uh, Jesse Duplantis, uh, he is an evangelist uh, that comes to this church, Faith Church, um, pretty uh, twice a year. And he comes and ministers here. And uh, I have had the opportunity to have many meals with him and, and discuss things with him. And I love it. I love how Jesse uh, tells this story. He is often uh, frowned upon by many Christians because, well, you know, he has money and, you know, as Christians, we need to be poor, which I'm going to debunk that in just a second. Um, But Jesse Duplantis wasn't always this 
blessed rich man. In fact, Jesse Duplantis did this very thing that we see here in this story. Uh, When he first gave his life to the Lord, two times the Lord asked him to empty out everything that he had in his bank account and everything that he owned and give it to the Lord. Twice, God asked him to do that. And so he did it. He actually said the last time I was with him, he even went into his daughter's room, broke her piggy bank and gave that to God too. Because when God said all, Jesse Duplantis took him seriously and said, I'm going to give him all. And so he literally went bankrupt for the kingdom of God twice, twice. How many of us can honestly say that we would be willing to give everything that we have, literally every penny? This is not just like, you know, giving, you know, a little bit of the extra we have. He gave everything that he had and everything that he owned for God, for the kingdom of God. And so he gave it to the Lord. And after the second time he did it, he said, Lord, is this, is this, you know, like, am I going to have to do that again? And the Lord responded to him and said, no, because you've shown me where your heart is. You've shown me where your heart is. You've shown me that you don't love money. And so as a result, Jesse Duplantis is now one of the most blessed, prosperous men really in the world and amongst ministers, certainly. He has, yeah, he has a jet. Yeah, he has a house and all that stuff. But here's the thing. He doesn't care about those things more than he does the kingdom of God. His money and all those things don't have his heart. He proved to God. He showed God, God, I'm willing to go broke for your kingdom. And with that type of attitude, God was able to bless him. Why? He forsook all. And now he has one of the most successful ministries in the world. Why? He forsook all. That's what it takes to follow Jesus, forsaking all. And I know I'm talking about financial means and such, and that's often really the number one place that a lot of people deal with is financial means. I was talking to a student the other day, and they were telling me, you know, Pastor Joey, I'm a little afraid to go into the ministry because they feel the call of God and, you know, they want to be a pastor, and I'm afraid to go into the ministry because I just don't know if I'm going to make any money. And that that's a normal, uh, normal, like, Uh, response to have to going into the ministry in the sense that people often think that in the world, but how many of you guys know that it's not a kingdom response? It's not a kingdom understanding. This student wasn't wrong to think that. This was my opportunity as a pastor to be able to pastor them through this situation, but in the kingdom of God, the workers of God are paid good wages. God provides, God blesses his people. But the reality is, is that when that call uh, comes, and I encouraged this young man with this the other day, that you have to be willing to forsake everything. You have to be willing to say, God, I don't care about money. I care about your calling uh, into the kingdom. I care about advancing your kingdom. I care about doing what you've asked me to do above all things. That right there is an essential part of following Jesus, is for being willing to forsake all forsake everything. And so I shared that with that young man and encouraged them because we need to be willing to be able to forsake all to follow Jesus. Forsake all. Dr. Jesse Duplantis did it. He forsook all and God blessed his life because of it. But it started with him forsaking all. Forsaking all. We have to be willing to forsake all to follow Jesus. This sometimes means leaving friends behind. You might be friends with somebody, but they've been holding you back. And every time that you hang out around them, you want to do things that you know that you shouldn't do. 
Maybe every single time you hang out with this group of friends, they smoke, they drink, they do stuff that you know that you can't be around, that you can't partake in. Part of following Jesus is forsaking all. It's not not hating anybody, but maybe creating distance, maybe even forsaking your friends and saying, I'm going to forsake these friends. I'm going to leave these friends behind and I'm going to go chase after God. I know what somebody might be thinking right now. Well, Jesus ate with sinners and tax collectors. So why do I need to forsake my friends to follow Jesus? Why do I need to forsake them? Jesus ate with sinners and tax collectors. People misquote that scripture so much or miss not misquote but misrepresent that scripture so much and what it really came down to the reason why Jesus ate with sinners and tax collectors is because he was calling them to repentance not to affirm their lifestyle secondly Jesus never went to their place of sin and hung out with them in fact the only time that Jesus is recording in the Bible hanging out with them quote unquote is when he's uh, sitting and eating with them Eating with them and eating with people in the ancient world was a time of fellowship and discussion. And so I can imagine, based on that context and understanding, that Jesus would be sitting with them, calling them to repentance. Calling them to repentance. Telling them the good news about the gospel. Jesus wasn't just hanging out with them to have a quote-unquote good time and do all the stuff that they were doing. And he didn't just sit there while they were all, you know, doing all the stuff they shouldn't do. Getting drunk, you know, smoking pot or whatever. I don't even know if they had that in the ancient world. But you get the idea. Jesus wasn't just sitting there while they were doing that stuff going, yeah, you know, I'm just going to, you know, hang out here with them. No, he was calling them to repentance and he was teaching them the right way to go. So it's not wrong for you to say, I need to forsake certain friends to follow Jesus because I know that I can't be around that type of behavior. Now, the good news is you may have the opportunity to be able to show them the path of righteousness, to be able to uh, point uh, Jesus to them. You may have that opportunity to be able to do that, but that doesn't mean that you need to be hanging out with them all the time means they're going to hold you back from, from what following Jesus really looks like, which is forsaking all. Forsaking everything that is not of God. Everything that is not of God. Everything that's holding you back from fully serving God needs to be forsook. Needs to happen. We need to forsake anything that holds us back from following Jesus. It can even be good things. Hear me out on this. Maybe... It's an idol of sports. Maybe it's one of those things where, you know, well, you know, I just always played on this sports team and we play on Sunday mornings all the time. So, you know, I just don't really go to church for the three months out of the year. That's something that we need to forsake. Why? Because it's holding us back from serving and following Jesus the way that the Bible commands us to because the Bible commands us to be in the house of the Lord. The Bible commands us to not forsake the assembling of ourselves. We need to be willing to forsake anything that hinders us from following Jesus. Whatever that thing is in your life, today, forsake it and watch and see as your relationship with God gets stronger and stronger as you go all in to follow Jesus. So we have taking up our cross. We have forsaking all, just like Jesus asked this rich young man to do, forsake everything that he had. Because why? Because his heart was it, uh, his heart was owned by money, not by God. What's the third thing? What does following Jesus look like? The third thing, persecution. Persecution. 
Matthew 10, verse 18. Go to Matthew 10, verse 18. Matthew 10, verse 18. <coughs> Excuse me. And says, you will stand trial before governors and kings because you are my followers. But this will be your opportunity to tell the rulers and other unbelievers about me. When you are arrested, don't worry how to respond or what to say. God will give you the right words at the right time. For it is not you who will be speaking. It will be the spirit of your father speaking through you. So, In Matthew 10, verse 18, and this is the context, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he's telling them what it's going to be like. And he says, you're going to be dragged before kings and rulers. You're going to be arrested. In other words, you're going to be persecuted for the gospel. There is a persecution that comes along with the gospel where people are not going to like the message that you teach and people are not going to like the God that you represent. Here's why people persecute the gospel. Ready? Here's why people persecute the gospel. There are two reasons. First, there is a spirit at work on the, there is a spirit at work in the hearts of people that is trying to take them away from God, that is trying to pull them away from God and oppose the gospel. But second, it's because people do not want to change the way that they live. And the gospel calls people to change the way that they live in a way that is honorable to God. If the gospel is true, people cannot do the things that they currently do before they are saved. Why? Because the Bible commands us to behave in a holy manner. And so people don't want to change their lifestyles, so therefore it's easier for them to persecute and come against the gospel. It's a twofold thing. It's a spirit at work in them that is trying to keep them from the gospel and it's, and, and it's uh, something on the inside of them saying, I don't want to change the way that I live. I don't want to change the way that I live. When in reality, in the gospel, when someone gives their life to Jesus Christ, God gives them the power to be able to change their, change their life through sanctification. But nonetheless, people will persecute the gospel They will persecute you as a follower of Jesus. What does following Jesus look like? Persecution. People will not like what you have to say. People will make fun of you. Uh, In America, we don't see persecution on a super high scale right now. We see persecution for us is like, you know, people are shouting at us or yelling at us or get upset or, you know, people try to, you know, um, you know, write mean comments on your Instagram posts or on your YouTube channel or something like that. Other countries, persecution is like, we're going to arrest you, put you in prison, and perhaps even kill you for being a Christian. That right there is, a, is persecution that the people in the Bible face. Thankfully, we live in a country where we have free speech, where we're able to be Christian. But don't be surprised. Do not be surprised if the day even came in America where there would be persecution, where there would be persecution. I'll tell you what, persecution reveals who is really a follower of God and who is not. It's easy to say that you follow Jesus when there's no persecution. But when people are persecuting you and pushing back against you, that reveals how much you really care about this thing. 
Because if Jesus is really your Lord, you can't live without him. So it doesn't matter how many people persecute me. It doesn't matter how many people come against me. And although I might be challenged in my faith, I will not forsake the gospel because the gospel means that much to me because Jesus is my Lord and there is no other way. Persecution reveals who's really a follower of Jesus Christ. When you are persecuted, let it be an encouragement to you that you are actually making a stand for God because nobody cares about a Christian that isn't doing anything. Nobody cares about a Christian that isn't doing anything. In the Gospels and Acts, they didn't care about the, the, the apostles and the disciples until what? Until they began to preach the gospel. Then they cared about the apostles. Then they cared about the disciples. What am I referring to? Acts chapter four. Acts chapter three and four. Peter and John, they're going around, they're preaching the gospel. They're doing all this stuff. But then the religious leaders who were like the, who were like the politicians in that area took them in and basically threatened them and told them to knock it off. They didn't care about what Paul was doing until Paul ministered in power in Acts chapter 19, or I'm sorry, Acts chapter 16, I believe, where he casted out a demon out of a girl and people got upset and riled up because he was doing stuff for the kingdom of God. People do not care to persecute Christians until they actually do stuff. So really the mark of a true follower of Christ is when we are persecuted, when people come against us. You know, I'll post content on social media sometimes and people will write like super rude comments. No, one guy like wrote something about, you know, I don't even know. It was like, he told me like I was cringe or something like that. And like, you know, this guy's, you know, ridiculous or whatever. And he was just saying all this nonsense about me because I was preaching on the power of praise to break off anxiety and depression because praise gives us a spirit of joy. And I was talking about that a little bit and such. And it was funny when I clicked on his profile, uh, cause I was curious who this guy was. He was like a singer and his first song was like something about like being depressed or something like that. And I was like, no wonder you don't like me because what I'm preaching you challenges you to break out of that thing. But it's amazing. I'm literally offering you something that can break you out of that place of depression and anxiety, but you're not willing to take it. Anyway, that's a little besides the point. But basically what I'm saying is that people do not care. People do not care about Christ, persecuting Christians until they actually do something for the kingdom of God. My friend Evangelist Wesley, he put on Good News Danbury, which was this event that we did in Danbury High School where we did a bunch of great activities and stuff for the city of Danbury. We helped them out. Uh, and we just did a lot of fun stuff. We gave stuff away uh, and it was open to everybody that wanted to come. When the main goal of the event ultimately was to win people for Jesus Christ, to love people with the love of Jesus Christ and to bring them to know Jesus. And so uh, Evangelist Wesley did this and he uh, received so much pushback on it. People were blasting him all over social media. People were threatening all types of stuff. Why? Because he was making a move for the gospel. But guess what? Nobody cared about what Wesley was doing until he actually made a move for the gospel. Until he actually made a move for the gospel. Why am I bringing all of these things up? Why am I showing you how the apostles in Acts 3 and 4 and Acts 16, when they did something for the kingdom of God, that's when there was persecution. Why am I, why am I bringing that up? Because the mark of a true follower of Jesus Christ is persecution. Persecution. People will persecute you. It should be expected. Now, 
We don't have a country where, you know, all the time people are necessarily like, you know, trying to kill you when you, when you, you know, profess Christ. But for my MPAC students that are watching or for any youth that are watching, when people make fun of you in your high schools for being a follower of Jesus Christ, that's persecution. That's the mark of a true follower of Jesus Christ. Be encouraged when you're persecuted, knowing that you are a true follower of Jesus Christ. Because the apostles were persecuted. The disciples were persecuted. That's a part of following Jesus is persecution. How else do I know that persecution is a thing? Jesus even promises persecution. Matthew chapter 5, verse 44. Matthew chapter 5, verse 44. It says, but I say, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. So, it says, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Clearly, there's persecution because Jesus says to pray for those who persecute you. That's an amazing part of the gospel is that when people persecute you, Jesus says to pray for them. But nonetheless, the point is, is that there is persecution. Following Jesus is not just this life where, you know, no one's ever going to bother you. There might be persecution, but the good news is that there is a power in God that you, that you don't just have to sit there while people come against you, but you have a power in Jesus' name to give you victory every single time. Every single time. God will give you victory. You know, <clears throat> I want to talk about this a little bit. Go to Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. It's funny how I naturally went there. I actually forgot this. This was in my notes. When this is something that I believe uh, in strongly. I believe in persecution. I believe in persecution, 100%. It's in the Bible. And a lot of people, they're afraid to teach it. You know, I, I've heard people, you know, try to rationalize, well, you know, uh, you know, the early apostles were persecuted, but that's, you know, not for Christians today. And that's not what the Bible teaches. Persecution is a part of following Jesus today. But oftentimes when people uh, preach persecution, they preach defeat. It's like, well, you know, in this life, we're just going to, you know, be defeated and, you know, people are going to come against us. And that's just the way that it has to be. But here's what the Bible says. Here's what the Bible says. Jesus says in John 16, Verse 33, that in this world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So although there is trouble in this life, although there is persecution, although people come against us in this life, you can still be confident and of good cheer because God, because Jesus has overcome the world. And what does the Bible say? That the spirit of God is on the inside of you, that greater is he that is in you than he that is of the world. He that is in the world. The spirit of God is on the inside of you. You have the victory in Christ Jesus despite persecution, but persecution is a part of the Bible. You will face persecution as a Christian if you're doing it the right way. Philippians chapter one, verse 12. It says, I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me there has helped to spread the good news. For everyone, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. Here's, what, here's why I wanted to read that text to you, and I'm going to skip down to verse 19 in a second. Persecution actually will advance the gospel. When there is persecution, 
the gospel begins to be highlighted. People hear about, oh, why, uh, you know, people are coming against this thing and everybody starts talking about the gospel. But something about persecution brings people's attention to the gospel. Here's part of the reasons I believe why. You would have to be crazy to be a follower of Jesus even after your life is threatened. If you don't really believe that the gospel is true and that the gospel is powerful, then why would you be a Christian even after your life is being threatened? Uh, go to Acts chapter four. I feel this in my spirit right now to explain this better. Go to Acts chapter four. This will help you and, and help you understand what I'm talking about. Acts chapter four. <coughs> Acts chapter four. I actually am not sure what, what um, Oh, yeah, there it is. Praise God. Acts chapter 4, verse 19. I wasn't sure where it was. Here's what it says. Verse 16. They, they, they basically bring uh, Peter and John before this council, and they're threatening them. They say, what should we do with these men? They ask each other. We can't deny that they have performed a miraculous sign, and everybody in Jerusalem knows about it. But to keep them from spreading their propaganda any further, we must warn them to not speak it to anyone in Jesus' name again. So they called the apostles back in and commanded them never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. Now, you have to understand, when they commanded them to do this, they had the power to be able to punish them physically for um, for uh, not obeying what they were saying. They had power to be able to do so, these religious leaders. They could beat them, they can imprison them, all this, all this stuff. But here's what Peter and John reply. Peter and John replied, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything we have heard and seen. The council then threatened them further, but they finally let them go because they didn't know how to punish them without starting a riot. For everyone was praising God for this miraculous sign, the healing of a man who had been lame for more than 40 years. What happened? Well, Peter and John were like, listen, you can threaten us all that you want. You can persecute us all that you want. But we cannot deny the truth that Jesus Christ is alive. Jesus Christ is alive. And that seems crazy because, and here's why the gospel is so powerful. If the gospel was a fraud, why would people be making a stand like this for Jesus? Here's why. These men saw Jesus alive. They saw the risen Christ and they knew the truth of the gospel so much so that they were willing to die for it. And, and today we see this as well, ministers willing to literally lose their lives for the preaching of the gospel because they understand that the Bible says, Jesus said, whoever wants to, whoever wants to find their life must lose it for my sake. And whoever tries, whoever tries to gain their life will lose it. We see the kingdom of God is about being willing to lose us and about being about us and following God. It's about saying, I don't want to keep my life for my sake. I don't want to live this life. This life is not me worth living for me if I'm not doing it for God. And so they were literally willing to die for the gospel. They were literally willing to die for the gospel. They didn't care what they would do to them. I'm sure that, you know, 
it's daunting to think about the fact that, you know, people might try to harm you or something like that. People may try to persecute you for preaching the gospel. I understand that. And I, I get that that, that could be a daunting uh, fact. I'm sure for Peter and John it was. But here's the reality. The gospel was just way too important for them to forsake teaching it. And so persecution will actually help spread the gospel because people go, wow, these guys aren't backing down. No matter how much we threaten them, these people will not back down. And that's what we need in in the church, especially in America today, is people that will not back down despite persecution. Despite persecution. Expect persecution as a Christian. But here's the side of victory I want to speak on. This is going to be a strong statement. And not everybody agrees with this, but I believe I can back it in the Bible. God's man or woman in the center of God's will is indestructible until God is done with them. God's man or woman in the center of God's will is indestructible until God is finished with them. Hear me on this. This is why I believe this. The apostle Paul, Philippians 1.19, he was in prison and he was facing potential death. And this is what he has to say. For I know that as you pray for me and the spirit of Jesus helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. For to me, living means uh, living for Christ and dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful works for Christ. So I don't really know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for uh, me. But for your sakes, it is better that I continue to live. Knowing this, I am convinced that I will remain alive so I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. And when I come to you again, you will uh, have even more reason to take pride in Christ Jesus because what he is doing uh, through me. So I believe that the Bible teaches here and I believe, I believe this and now some people may disagree and you know, uh, that's fine if they don't have the same interpretation of this text. But I understand this, that Paul knew that he was going to live, that he was confident that this would lead to his release. He even said, I'm torn between two desires. In one, I want to be here with you, but in the other, uh, you know, I want to go home to be with the Lord, which would be much better. I believe that the apostle Paul could not die until he finished his purpose. And when he did, that's when he died. That's, that, that's what I believe that the Bible teaches. Uh, some people may not agree with that, but I do believe that's what the Bible teaches. One time somebody tried to shoot Kenneth Hagin uh, in a service and the bullet literally curved and went around him. And the reason why they know it curved is because the bullet, uh, the bullet uh, went in the wall directly behind him. They literally shot him straight on and the bullet went through the wall behind him. It curved around him. I believe that God has a mark on his people that are preaching for him and doing things for him. I believe that. You know, you might, well, why did this person die young? Why did that person die? I'm not getting into that right now. I'm just saying this is what I believe that the Bible teaches. And this is what I believe the Bible teaches. So when you're persecuted, you can hold fast that you have victory in Christ Jesus. You have victory in Christ Jesus.
And as a follower of Jesus Christ, you can expect to be persecuted, that people will come against you. But understand that praise be to God who gives us the victory through Christ Jesus our Lord is what the Bible says. You have victory in Christ Jesus. You have victory. And just like the apostle Paul says, whether we live or die, whether we live or die, now, what, what does he actually say specifically? I want to read this to you guys. It says, for to me, living means living for Christ and dying is even better. Pastor Frank always says this, dying, is not, dying as a Christian is not a consolation prize. It's the ultimate prize. When you die as a Christian, you, get into, you go into eternal glory. It is literally amazing when you get, it's so awesome because it's like, wow, I get to be with the Lord. And so dying is not a consolation prize, but I believe the will of God is long life. And I believe that God will keep you and preserve you uh, in the center of his will. When you're in the center of his will, that God will keep and preserve his people. Persecution, it's a part of following Jesus. It's a part of following Jesus. So we have take up your cross or take up our cross, forsaking all. That means forsaking everything that keeps you from your relationship with God. Persecution, and the last thing, and I'll make this quick, blessing. Blessing. The life of a Christian involves blessing. Blessing. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 14. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 14. I'm only going to read a couple texts here. You know, I actually don't want to read this text. Go to, go to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, and then we're going to end in Mark 10, 31. Mark 10, 31. I got a new Bible here, so I'm not used to the page flippings yet. Some, some people can identify with me out there. You're like, yeah, I get it. I know you. It's a new Bible. Pages flip differently. Ephesians 1, verse 3. and says, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. There is a blessing. There is spiritual blessing for following Jesus. Yes, spiritual blessing. I'm talking about spiritual blessing right now. There is a blessing of eternal life. There are blessings in eternity for us. The Bible actually talks about, I, I've talked about this on the podcast before, how we will get rewards when we get to heaven for the things that we do for God in this life. Life. But watch this. It's not just spiritual blessings. It's not just when we die. Go to Mark chapter 10, verse 31, and this is where I'm going to end for today. I hope this is helping you right now. Mark 10, verse 31. I'm actually going to start in verse 28. <coughs> then Peter began to speak up. We've given up everything to follow you, he said. This is right after the rich young ruler. Yes, Jesus replied. And I assure you that everyone who has given up house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property for my sake and for the good news will receive now, 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 
I could say it five more times because everybody likes to say, well, where does the Bible promise that we're going to have any blessing in this life? It's all about the next life, brother. You know, when I die and I get my reward and glory, praise God for that. I'm looking way more forward to my glory, my, my eternal reward. I'm looking way more forward to heaven than I am this life. Praise God for that. Like, I'm not saying anything against that. But where does the Bible say it? Now. Now. It says it right here. We'll receive now. In return, a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property, but ready, along with persecution. There it is. We have persecution again coming up. What does the life of a Christian look like? There's blessing and there's persecution. The full counsel of God's word. But watch this. Well, how do you know that Jesus didn't really mean when he said now he meant in, in the eternal, in the eternal age? I don't know how you can derive that, but let's just, Jesus even clarified that for us. And, in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. And in the world to come. So Jesus make a, dis a distinction. There's now, you have blessing now, but then also in the world to come, there's a blessing as well. That's amazing. Isn't that powerful? That not only will you have a blessed life as a Christian in, in eternity, but you can have a blessed life now. Hear me on this. Some people preach one or the other in, in this topic of what does following Jesus look like. They teach, well, the life of a Christian is all about blessing, Brother Joey. That's what it's all about, blessing. But some people say, no, the life of following Jesus is all about denying yourself and persecution, and there is no blessing. Can I tell you that both of them are right and both of them are wrong? Because it's both. The life of a Christian is about taking up our cross, following Jesus, dying to the old man, and coming alive in Christ. It's also about forsaking everything that holds us back from following Jesus. It also involves persecution, but guess what? There is also great blessing. It is all four of those things. That is what following Jesus looks like. That's what following Jesus looks like. Can I tell you something? There is nothing better than following Jesus. Some days I think about it and I just get thankful that like I know when I die that I'm going to go to heaven. I know that like some people are like, really that gets, yeah, it does get you. And as a Christian, it should get us. It's like, wow. Like, yeah, I have all this cool stuff to enjoy in life and all, and this mission, I have a long life ahead of me. I know all that stuff. If the Lord should tarry, I have a long life uh, ahead of me. But at the same time, I'm like, man, I know that if something were to happen, like it would just get better for me. There is hope in Christ. You can live a great life when you're here on this earth. Do great things for God. And then die and have an even greater reward. Eternal life. Amen. Praise God. I hope that encourages you today. Uh, let me pray for you. I'm not even sure how long I went. But uh, I think I went a little longer than I normally do. But I hope that that blessed you and encouraged you and that you received that today. That this is what the life of following Jesus looks like. And let me encourage you, if you've struggled in one of these areas in the sense that, oh, you know, I, I haven't really taken, I haven't, you know, really, uh, you know, lived out, not that you haven't made the decision to give your life to Christ and follow him. Really and truly, the first one actually is really a non-negotiable for being a Christian, taking up our cross. You, you really can't be a Christian and not take up your cross and follow, follow Jesus. But, forsaking all, maybe you're like, you know, 
I, I, there are some things that are holding me back from going in a deeper relationship with God. Certainly there needs to be a moment where we, you know, say to ourselves, you know, I, I'm going to give my, I'm going to give my heart to Jesus and he's number one in my life. But maybe there are some things that have tried to creep into your life that you've made more of a priority to God. Let me encourage you today. Leave those things behind and follow Jesus. Leave those things behind and go after Jesus. Go deeper in your relationship with him. Maybe you've struggled with the idea of persecution. Be encouraged today that yes, there will be persecution, but you have victory in Christ Jesus and the persecution will only help the spread of the gospel. And lastly, be encouraged that you are blessed in this life and in the age to come, that the life of the Christian is not about being poor in this life and then eventually you'll get to eternity. It's about both blessing in this life and in the age to come, which the age to come is far greater. Let me pray for you, uh, and then I'll sign off. Father, I thank you for every single person that's watching this right now. I thank you, Lord, for this life that you've given us. Lord, would we be willing, Lord, to follow you the way that your word teaches. Give everybody strength, Father, that's watching, Lord. What's watching this now, that's you know watching this six months from now, that's watching this a year from now. Father, I pray that you'd give us strength and courage, Father, to be able to follow you the way that we ought to. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Praise God. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. I hope that you enjoyed this teaching, and uh, I look forward to seeing you guys back next week. God bless. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Uncanceled Podcast. We hope you were blessed and encouraged by the teaching today. If you are between the grades of 5th through 12th grade, make sure to check us out in person at Faith Church in New Milford, Connecticut every Wednesday night from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Be sure to tune in next week for another weekly podcast from Uncanceled. God bless. God bless.